Now, welcome to the October episode of Behind the DM Screen for 2013. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Hey. Welcome back to, well, I shouldn't welcome you. It's your show. You almost (laughs) forgot the name of the show, didn't you? I feel I almost forgot the month, even though my birthday is tomorrow. (laughs) My cockles are warmed by how welcome I feel. Good. Yeah. I, 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 I've always wanted to warm your cockles as much as what I could. I, I don't need, do I even want to know what a cockle is? I'm not sure I, I do. I, I think, don't, I think, ask I, the British. I think even more so, you don't want to know how I warm it. Yeah. <laughs> those both, yeah. Can we move on? <laughs> yeah. So, fun. this is Behind the DM Screen. It is a uh, podcast about three DMs who get together once a month and talk about their games and help each other make them better. Good enough? Yep. Good enough. All right. Mike, you're first. Go. I'm starting the timer. I already did. Oh, you shouldn't have because we just started. Well, and this doesn't count. You already wasted no, six seconds. No, this doesn't count. None of this counts. So um, <laughs> I have two games to talk about. Wow. Uh, and I will let you guys choose which one to talk about first. One is a D&D Next game version of The Village of Hamlet. I don't know if you guys have heard about that adventure at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I ran that for a group this past Saturday including my 12-year-old niece who had never played D&D before uh, and her, her father, my brother-in-law, and some friends of ours. Uh, the other game I can talk about is my ongoing, my current ongoing 13th age game. So which do you want to hear about first? Well, I since want- I can't... Oh, since I'm not talking about Village of Hamlet today because we haven't played since we have last recorded, you talk about Village of Hamlet because I want to hear what you're doing. And All I, right. And I was going to say I want to hear about 13th Age because I've heard enough okay. Village of Hamlet. Uh, I'm going to well, talk about that. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so my, my niece, um, who, who I've known for a long, you know, 10 years or whatever, um, she apparently – I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing this story, but I believe that she uh, was secretly reading her father's D&D stuff without him knowing. And then he caught her and said, hey, you know, I know a guy who uh, – <laughs> knows who does the D and D and if you want to play. And she said, sure. Is it like Harry Potter? And he said, yeah. You know, so she said, sure. Uh, and I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have him. So they how, came how over. She? Uh, she's, I think 12 or thir- 12 or 13. It's a good age to start. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. And she came fully dressed up as Luna from uh, Harry Potter. So <laughs> wow. we did that. And, um, uh, and then we invited another, an, another couple, um, uh, the guy who runs the, not to pitch another, uh, podcast, but the guy who runs the rule zero podcast, Chris Dudley is his name. And he's a, he's been a friend of mine. We've played D and D for something like, I don't know, for like 10 years, almost as long as I've been almost as long as I've known my, my, my wife. So, um, they both came over, him and his wife came over. And, uh, so we had one, two, three, four, five players which was a good amount and i had never run the village of hamlet before and i really hadn't even read it all that in depth until about you know a few days before and i was a little psyched out because i felt like if i run a bad D game for people who play D, they'll just say wow that was a bad D game but if i if i screw up a D game for someone who had never played before it's like wow D sucks mm-hmm. so I, I i tried not to get myself too psyched out about that um, and luckily it all, and not to spoil, but everything turned out really well. Um, yeah, in fairness, uh, I find that when, when introducing new players, especially of that age, because I've done it once before with a, a group in my school, um, the expectations aren't super high either. Yeah, and that's probably they're, true. They're just really pumped about, hey, I've got this character, and I made him, and I customized him, and I get to right. do, decide what I'm doing, right. and there's no computer program telling me I can't go through that space even though there's nothing in my right. way. Right. 
Yeah, and it's great. So she got really into it. Um, so she actually, I mean, like literally played Luna from from Harry Potter. And that meant that I had to kind of like stick, you know, Hogwarts in the middle of Greyhawk. <laughs> but that kind of worked out and, and the story worked out. So one interesting thing that I did, this is this is something I'll probably write more about and it worked pretty well. I've used fiasco style relationships before. Um, but I, in this time, I, 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 I wrote up like 12 relationships with 12 NPCs that are in Village of Hamlet. And then I, uh, and I built like, okay, this, you know, they're your, you know, this guy's your uncle, which means the two of you are cousins and whatever, you know, people, players, players would roll, you know, for the player, for them and the player on their left. And then that would be connected to one of the NPCs through some relationship. And I ended up scrapping the relationship part and just said, you, you two and one of these NPCs are interconnected and you guys decide how, right? And, and I would describe a little bit about the NPCs. So like Zert, do you guys remember Zert, the, the mercenary, you know, tough knight guy that's apparently an NPC in Hamlet? Yeah, he's, oh, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not around in, as of the, uh, the return. Oh, okay. So he was in the original. Um, so this is the original first edition Players of Hamlet, or Village of Hamlet that I used. And uh, so I kind of just picked like 12 NPCs that are in there and made a one to 12 list. And then the players would roll for the player for them and the player on their left. And that way it would go all the way around the table and everybody would have two relationships. They would have two people they're connected to that are PCs and two people they're connected to that are NPCs. And then they would, you know, for each like, you know, set of three characters, the two PCs and the NPC, they would, um, they would decide they would, kind of pick how that relationship worked so for Zert he was kind of like a mercenary that had been kicked out of a bunch of mercenary groups and uh, you know he was a, known as a rough customer and they would say oh well I, you know Zert and I used to be part of a mercenary group together but then we got into a fight and he ended up leaving and the other players say oh yeah and he we they got into the fight because of me because you know Zert you know was mean to me or something like they came up with a whole thing and then the, the hard part is there was like basically five little stories that existed before we'd even started, but they all involved NPCs that were in Hamlet. And, um, that actually, they, everybody, including, you know, we had, you know, vets who had been playing D and D for 30 years and we had a player who had never played before. And everybody seemed to dig that. And I remember one time when, um, Russ, my brother-in-law was kind of coming up with this story about how Luna's mother was killed because of an experiment and um, Katie, my niece, kind of turns to say, hey, is it, is it my turn yet? Can I can I get into this story? And he's like, oh, yeah. And she would say like, so. And she totally <laughs> dove into the story and came up with a whole thing about why Luna's mother, you know, was was killed by this evil magic that a, that an evil wizard who was at, now at Hamlet came up with. So that that whole kind of character introduction thing took an hour of time in a four hour game. But when they were done, they had all of these plot seeds that drove them straight into Hamlet. And as soon as they got there, they knew exactly who they were going to talk to. And when they'd show up, they already had a relationship with the NPC. You know, so that that actually was a pretty interesting. I had never run it exactly like that before. I'd never run any game exactly like that before. And I was experimenting with it. It was, it was a little dangerous. But it ended up working out pretty well. And, and you know, they, they, went, they went right to the tower and talked to Rufus, the mage, who knew. I think it's Rufus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Yeah, it is Rufus. Yeah, so they talked to Rufus the mage, and Rufus was like a fan of Luna because he'd been, you know, he 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 knew the wizards that were graduating from Hogwarts, and and you know, so they already had a connection, and um, uh, so that worked out pretty well. And it was, you know, it was, a, it was certainly an abbreviated version of the adventure. They basically, um, 
started off getting attacked by bandits outside of Hamlet who were hired by you know the main villain or not the main villain but by one of their one of the evil NPCs they were connected to to stop them from getting into Hamlet because you know they're trying to start up this evil cult in Hamlet and um so they had like one battle outside they did some running around the village then they went to the moat house where they fought a bunch of uh mercenary guys outside of the and, and including an ogre outside the moat house and then they went down into the dungeon and i and i made the dungeon really quick like they they had one little puzzle that they had to figure out and then they fought the uh whatever the main bad dude is uh, and larith larith yes yeah, so they fought larith and then larith and uh there's an evil rogue that's in the village of hamlet and the evil rogue was connected to the pcs and he was in there with larith he was kind of like larith's toady so you know there was a wizard throwing spells and there's a rogue going around backstabbing people and there were <laughs> zombies so um yeah, so it was it was it worked really well. She she liked it a lot. It was a little tricky to kind of and I, I didn't you know, at first I'm like, well, I don't want to kind of force her to recognize that this isn't really the Luna like like her Luna's this is, you know, she could use a representation of Luna or this could be a version of Luna that's in this one or somebody that's really like Luna, but it's not actually Luna. And then I'm like, well, is that her problem or my problem? Like, <laughs> You're right. you know, my right. problem is, no, it is Luna. Right. And I just got to figure out how to get Luna into this game that is a set in a fantasy world, not in London and certainly not present day, you know, and, and that we just I never really addressed it directly and she right. never really questioned it directly. And it just worked out, you know. Yeah, I think I don't think that I mean, especially for a one shot, that's not something that. Yeah, it wasn't that important, addressed. but it was, yeah, it wasn't that important, except like, you know, I wanted to make sure that the kind of the hooks that she had for her character could certainly play out. Now, are there um, plans to play again? You know, I, 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 I'm, I, I wrote, I wrote my brother-in-law and said, you know, hey, we got to get together in November, and we'll, you know, I'll be happy to go through the Temple of Elemental, Elemental Evil, uh, or that's yeah, some abbreviated form. Again, like if you were to look at the game I ran and the Adventure of Village of Hamlet, there's not a whole lot of similarity because sure. I, you know, I, 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 you know, a lot of it was improvised, um, and I would probably run the Temple of Elemental Evil the same way. But now they have characters that are preset. And, mm-hmm. and it all works well. We used the current D&D Next playtest, and that worked all right, except now I'm even more confused because I'm running 13th Age, and I just ran Pathfinder. So I've now run, like, four different D&D Next playtests with all the different rule changes, plus Pathfinder, <laughs> plus 13th Age. And they're all essentially the same game, but with right. a lot of subtle differences. So I'd ask Michelle, like, you know, how does you know how is it handled with the healing surges again? And she say, "Well, it's handled this way." I went, "No, I think that's thirteenth age." You know, <laughs> and I'm like whatever, you know, I don't know. You heal everything's fine. well. And and one of the things I was going to say uh, in my experience is that you do have to be a little bit careful with uh, players of your niece's age um, mm-hmm. and and changing things, right? Um, Rules or something, right? So like for example, when I played with. Uh, with my uh, school group a couple years back when, when we had one, um, something had happened that I'd lost uh, one of the, you know, the file. It was a fourth edition game. So I lost the file for um, one of the player's characters. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. They've only played them like twice and I'll just recreate it and it'll be an even better character. Cause you know, now I, right now we kind of have two paladins that are very similar. I'll make this one very different and, and awesome. And he'll be, he'll be super pumped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was Yes, <laughs> his character. That was his character. I was like, yeah, but right. I, I made him the first time. Like it was my character. You, yeah. had, you didn't no, make it. It's his character those... now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So he was. Yeah. Pe- he was. Yeah. Crazy yeah. pissed. Yeah. So I didn't get a chance to run a lot of the encounters in the moat house because there was a fair bit that happened before. Uh, I really have learned that, especially for a one shot, that, that you know, your your time to the first sword blow should be short. 
you know, and if you're going to do a big character introduction, you better have a battle right after it, which is why that's, I said, like, we're going to have a battle right off the bat. It's pretty much the first thing, especially true. if you have an hour of character introduction. And that, that hour takes a long time. But on the other hand, like, the, 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 when, you, when you basically say, like, well, you're, why are you guys all in Hamlet and you guys kind of wander into one another and, you know, trying to get people together as a group. I had this trouble with my 13th age game. Like, new characters getting integrated into a group can actually be really tough. So you want to have a pretty quick way to say, like, here's why you're in this group and why it's important for you to adventure with them. Because I think I told you guys a couple sessions back where, like, it was a Pathfinder game. And one of my players said one of my favorite lines I've ever heard in a game, which is, yeah, I'm not really that interested in adventuring, you know. And I was like, your character is going to be sitting in a shop while everybody else is, you know, killing ghouls. How do you expect this? And it was funny because he said it totally in character and everybody's just staring at him like, what are you kidding? Like, what the hell, <laughs> the hell game are we playing here? You don't like adventure. So There's always great. one in every group, Mike. Yeah. yeah. So that was a that was a great game. I really loved running it. She seemed to like it. Everyone everyone else uh, really seemed to enjoy it. I like Village of Hamlet. I think it'll be a good. It's a good fun adventure. Um, it cracks me up that the way that adventure is designed is like, you know, I think it's 24 pages, and like 18 of those pages are describing every barn and every little hidden stash of treasure, <laughs> and you're like, really, you know, I don't care. And I remember hearing some story about a group that went through and like killed every single villager and dug up every hole because they knew there's like a thousand gold piece plate that the guy buried in the barn. <laughs> so, but it, it was a lot of fun. How much time do I have left? Do I have enough time you, to talk? You got about age? two and a half minutes. Okay, so thirteenth age. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share one small anecdote. Um, the group I started with the adventure that's in the in the book called Bolt Strike Pillar, and then created a a dungeon below it. Like the floor caved in and there's this whole dungeon down there. And in the last session, they went down into this weird like natural caverns that's all f- filled with fungus. And there's these giant mushrooms. And they realized that the giant mushrooms would explode. But when they blew up the mushroom, there were tiny little troglodytes that were kind of in embryonic sacs inside the mushrooms. You know, and they looked carefully at these at these troglodytes that are inside the mushrooms and growing inside the mushrooms and realized that the troglodytes actually have clothes on, that they're not they're not like embryos. They actually have like little staves and little spears and little little ragged trousers. And it was when I mentioned that there's these little troglodytes in embryonic sex that even include the little trousers. My whole table got totally creeped out and they're all like, <laughs> you know. I don't want to know about the stop. Stop talking about the trousers. You know that's weird, and I don't like it. Why are they weirded out about the trousers? I don't know. It was something about the fact that there is like little baby troglodytes that included the clothes that they thought was just too creepy. Okay. And, and I thought that was fun. So earlier in that same dungeon, they've been walking around, and there was these like man-made or or human or whatever you know, intelligent creature-made walls. <laughs> artificial. Yeah, yeah, artificial walls that were brick. Except when they looked at the brick, they realized that the, the, each brick had been carefully carved out of natural rock and that to do so, to make it that perfect, would have taken like 10,000 years per brick. Like the amount of detail that they took to make this natural rock look like that had been bricked was way more than anybody would ever spend. And then the further in they got, they realized that the walls themselves would go from brick to natural rock and that it just didn't make any sense, like how the brick would turn into natural rock when it should be brick. And that mixed with the mushrooms that were growing troglodytes. And then, in fact, they, they hit one mushroom that was, that was blue and lightning shot out. And inside of that was a, a uh, female elf that was about half the size of a normal one who was also encased in this weird embryonic sack and had swords and armor and stuff like that that was growing along with her. 
and she had a full memory of a full past. Oh, oh, that's the end of my time. So I can't tell you why all that happened. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. So you have to. Yeah. Let's see if any of the let's see if any of the listeners or if you guys can actually figure out what what is going on in this place. But the thirteen uh, page system is is treating you well. It's, it's what yeah. it's basically what four E light, right? It's four. Well, you know, it's it's. I I don't know. Yeah, I would say it's four E light with some kind of fake core slash. You know, with some kind of fake core thrown into it. So the whole idea of the one unique thing, and the way they handle backgrounds instead of skills, and the particularly the icon system. Have I talked about any of this on here before? Did I talk about the a icons? A little, but not yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you did. Yeah. So the the rough part is you have to know like what parts to keep. Anytime you're making an adventure or planning a game session, you have to leave these huge blank spots. Because the players are going to roll for their icon relationships right. at the beginning of the adventure, and that's going to change how the adventure goes. And, and that's – it's still really hard for me to get my head around that. And you don't necessarily have to do it that way. You could just skip over. And, but a lot of people – I wrote a review on Critical Hits about it, and a lot of people uh, kind of commented and sent me tweets. And they said, yeah, it's awesome. We love it. But that part really is tough. So uh, the only last thing I'll mention in sad news, two, two players from my regular group – uh, maybe moving to New Hampshire, and I'm very. They they were both awesome players, and and we they actually uh, 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 the fella the husband runs our weekend one of our weekend games as well. So I'm out two D and D games and two players oh, wow. all at once, and it's and it's that's a that's a really place. good segue into me. Okay, so, so, so I'm, I'm gonna, done. I'm going to start my time. Yes, uh, because. One of the things I wanted to talk about on here, and, and in fact, talking about it on here may be a solution to my problem, is I think I need another player or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my group is getting small enough at this point. I think that I basically had five players and, and me as the DM, and that was fine. But, you know, we're adults and we're, we're you know, family, yep. family people and whatever, and every now and then somebody couldn't make it. And then it's like, all right, well, we play with four. That's okay. But you play much smaller than that, and we, we, you know, we just called it off. Mm-hmm. If two people had to be gone, then we just wouldn't play. Right. Um, well, one of our players, after six weeks of dating some girl, um, in, got engaged to her, mm-hmm. uh, and now suddenly that is all of his time, and he's indefinitely n- no longer with us. Mm. He's taking an wow. indefinite hiatus. Mm. Um, so now we're down to the. Uh, I know we must have had straight up. We must have had six before, but we're down to the straight up five now. So if one person's gone, we don't play. That's is, the, the, is the girlfriend any sort of geek? The fiance. I've never met her, so I have no idea. Um, Most of the information I have about the situation comes from his roommate, who is the one that invited him into the group originally. So ah, gotcha. But yeah, so the gist of it is, I need to find another player, preferably two players, and then we'd be back up to the numbers we used to be at um, before we lost some people a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, then I feel good about you know, okay, well, you know, if we got the number that if we had two more people, then you know. If two or three people couldn't make it, there's no big deal. We can we can keep playing, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it's not, you know, because you know things come up and that's fine. Um, but I'm not entirely sure how to find new people at this point. I don't know of a good game store in town anymore. Um, there used to be one, and then it kind of fell apart, and now nobody goes there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the one decent game store I hear about is actually a, a video game store that also sells table some tabletop stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah. I'm hoping my 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 outside. You know, I found my last uh, out of the blue player through Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just tweeted something and, and picked up Andy Meyer, mm-hmm. um, who's been great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
but Twitter didn't get me anything this time around when I when I tweeted it a, 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 week, a couple weeks ago. But you might you might try for a little bit. I might. You know, because I'll, I'll tell you something about Twitter is you can't you can't trust that any one tweet is really going to be read by any significant percentage of Absolutely your overall true. followers. Yeah. And I mean, I I do all kinds of tricks like scheduling tweets and all sorts of stuff in order to make sure that any anything that I'm want, that that's important, like my Kickstarter for Aeon Wave. Oh, you're doing that for for example. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, like if you're if you're really looking for people, you might wanna you might wanna drop tweets at different times. And I know you're probably busy during the day, so you might use something like Hootsuite to schedule those. Sure, yeah. For you know, somewhere between eleven and one p.m. Eastern seems to be the most popular time for people. And, and the group originally formed on Meetup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, right. You know, so it, would, it wouldn't be horrible that. to to post something there. Uh, but and it's weird because we started out as a group of people who had never seen each other before, you know, just through Meetup, and we got together one time and said, "All right, well, now we're playing a game," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now some of those people are my best, some of my best friends in the area, you know. Yeah, that's great. Um, but but now it's to the point where. It, it almost feels weird trying to get a complete stranger to join us. Yeah, yeah, I've I've had that I've had that as well. Like I've I've never actually recruited through Twitter, uh, and I live in the mecca of D and D here. Right. Um, did, did I tell you guys I ran into a guy who was reading the Thirteenth Age core book at the local coffee shop one morning, and I was like, "Wow, you're reading Thirteenth Age!" Like, and it turned out he's been gaming forever. Awesome. So that you know that was a total random happenstance, but he's probably going to end up joining our group uh, to replace one of the two people oh, that, that that are leaving. So I recommend that you just find someone in your coffee shop that happens to be reading like thirteenth page. <laughs> yeah, that's tricky. I, it's <laughs> funny that worked, though. It's, that, that worked one hundred percent of the time for me. You say that, and and uh, and kind of jokingly, but but I've I've been doing like I go to the grocery store and I and I look around at people and it's like, hey, that guy is you know has kind of a geeky shirt on. Maybe I should ask if he's yeah. a D and D player. No, nothing, and except unless I'm wearing business clothes, I'm always wearing a D and D shirt. Like I have all the Penny Arcade D and D shirts, and I'm always hoping somebody will say something, and no one ever has. Right? No, yeah. I, I I always secretly Let's... have that 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 wish in the back of my head that I'll I'll wear something geeky and it'll it'll yeah. resonate with somebody and we can identify each other. You know. Yeah, one one idea that that I I haven't done yet, and I'm and I'm going to do either because I don't know if it if you're if you're weirded out by the idea of a complete stranger coming to your house, or if you just don't want to necessarily invite somebody you've never met before into a regular game. Well, it's it's hard to know whether somebody's going to be a fit to the group. If, yeah, if nobody's ever met him before. So one 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 trick that I've that I haven't tried yet, but I'm I'm considering is to set up like a different game for a different day. That's a one shot game. Just to try something like, you know, I'm going I want to run a D&D next playtest using this one adventure and you have that person come to that game. And if it works, then you, you know, you might do one more just to make sure. And then if that works, you invite to the regular game, but you don't actually have the, the, the new person go to your mm-hmm. normal game because then you're like kicking them out of the game to leave. But if they come in over for a one shot and you just never have them over again, you know, no one's insulted and, and nothing's out of the ordinary. OK, I mean, that's well, that. That's a that's an idea I had that I haven't used yet. Yeah. No, no, I, I I've I get that idea. It's tricky. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It's the hardest thing. I think it's the the, the the of all of the aspects of this hobby, to me the number one biggest challenge, biggest hurdle is always getting enough getting the right people together to be able to play. Yep. Oh, yes. And exactly it has been for right. thirty years. And then that helps, but you know, it ain't it still ain't perfect. Yep. And and well and you find, and you get a group that's awesome and then, you know, life yeah. happens. Yeah, right. I mean, I've got these, you know, my my these are some of our best friends in the area and they want to move to New Hampshire and I'm like he's like, "Oh, yeah, I asked for a job." I'm like, "Well, I hope you don't get it." Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Yep. I hear you. Well, and if anybody is listening and, you know, is kind of and lives in the area and is kind of half interested in chatting with me about it and seeing what how uh seeing how it might fit together with your schedule, let me know. The tome show at gmail dot com. <laughs> Maybe we'll find somebody through the podcast. Are you gonna talk about your game at all? Yeah, let's do that. So I've still got most of my time. Um we continue with the return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, when last we talked, they had, uh, taken down the air temple. Um, I decided to, retroactively to say that they also time jumped. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Um, and it was, um, I think I, I sort of half decided that every round that they were in the, the temple altar area after they destroyed it, uh, I was going to jump them forward one month in time. Mm. And... Um, I first sort of laid hints to them that that was happening by, um, by putting in that in my newsletter, you know how I do a newsletter every, every session. Right. So I just sort of said in the newsletter and there was an article of two months and we still haven't seen the heroes. Where have they been? What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. And it was weird because like nobody picked up on it for a while. Really? <laughs> and you know, and like it was really like it was the headline of one of the articles, heroes missing 2 months, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they didn't get it. <laughs> and and I think um I think some of the people, the people that probably read it, read the the newsletter the most carefully are also the sorts that just sort of let things roll mm-hmm. and don't question it. Mhm. Uh, and so I think they did, they were just letting it roll, and they didn't talk about it. They didn't, you know, they, so they didn't bring it up. Um, I think the people who are the most likely to actually pick up on stuff like that in my group uh, are also the people who don't usually really read the stuff that I hand them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wrote a full page uh, family history that was revealed to the story t- for one of my characters, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll take this home and read it. It's too long to read it here at the table." <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "Okay, whatever." And then, then the next week, I'm like referencing stuff subtly mm-hmm. that was in it. He has no idea, and I yeah, had, and, and I, dis- I discovered a month later he never read it, and I brought yeah. it up. To, I you know I I brought it up to him again. It's like, you know, this was referenced in that that history I gave you. It's like yeah, whatever. Oh, did I read that? <laughs> what? <laughs> so he dugs around. Do I still have that? Oh yeah, there it is. I'm like yeah. I hope you did. I put a lot of work into that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and so he, you know, I think he's one of the more ones that's that's more likely to pick up on on things like, hey, you just jumped forward in t- for two months, you know. Um, but he's I guess like never, he's, never, never work on a handout that you aren't ready for the players to immediately crumple up and throw over. Right, their absolutely. Which is fine. I, I mean, I didn't mind, and it was actually kind of a fun little game for me because I handed it out to him, and they just sort of, you know, they they'd look at it, they'd skim it, they'd pass it around. I think um, people read the front more than they do the back. Right um, on the front, I have sort of the the in character headlines and the newsletter and all that, and on the back, I just have sort of my DM report summarizing what happened at the last session. And I think they don't usually read the the, the summaries on the back, you know, although I think it would be useful to them sometimes. Um, but yeah, so I, I was sort of sitting back and just playing a game and watching them read it and pass it around and read it and pass it around and read it and pass it around and telling me like you know thinking. You know, sooner or later, somebody's going <laughs> to pick up on this, right? <laughs> I mean, they were still reading it, so I wasn't going to you know, give up the ghost on it yet. And I think it got to the third or fourth person. They're like, wait, two months? What, <laughs> what, what, where did we go for two months? I'm like, oh, that's a great question. And then I just said that I sort of let them stew on it for a while. You know, I think that's why my um, – when I did my, my survey you know, several months back, I think that's why I got a lot of sort of um, – um, 
people telling me that I'm a, an oppositional sort of DM, right? Mm-hmm. Not because I'm trying to kill them all the time, but because I, I pose them, I give them, you know, mysteries or puzzles or whatever. And then I just sit back and let them do it. And I provide no help. You know? Yeah. So they sat there for, I think for a half an hour or maybe an hour and, and theorized and summarized and, and made, you know, um, made knowledge checks and did all kinds of stuff, just trying to figure out what happened. What, what, what when did we move two months and when did it happen? Like at right. what, at what point in time in the session? So they don't know what occur? triggered it. <laughs> right, well, eventually I, th- I think maybe halfway through the session, mm-hmm. they figured it out. Cause they started talking to people and they're mm-hmm. like, wait, so when was the last time you saw us? <laughs> you know, what happened? And, and they, just, <laughs> uh, they just sort of slowly pinpointed it down as to, as to when they time jumped and, and when they didn't and all that. And, and it actually, I think it, it came together really well. I, I think the fact that I, that I did that retroactively, um, and, and, you know, the previous session, they hadn't actually time jumped. And then I pretended that they, 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 they did for half the session. Um, mm-hmm. I think in the mat, in the mix of all that confusion, I think they had no idea that I changed it retroactively. So far as they know, I did it intentionally from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that went really well. Um, then they, they left the air temple, uh, having cleared out, um, one of the things that was hinted at is that, you know, there was one sort of leader, lieutenant, whatever left of the air temple, and he's trying to, to gather together a team, to go after uh, to solidify his power and, and all that, uh, but but his his authority is shaky because he he sort of took authority with the promise of I'm going to go get those heroes that that destroyed our our altar and killed all of our leaders and then for two months he couldn't find him, hmm. you know, um, and so they they ran into him and they defeated him. Um, uh, it was a decently hard fight as much as one as much as I've had a hard fight in in D and D next at this point, mm-hmm. um, and then they they. Moved on from the Air Temple after exploring a few other things here and there, and defeated some gargoyles in a in, that were running an arena and you know that kind of stuff. Um, but then where it got more interesting is where they run into what is the equivalent of the Water Bridge. So the way the 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 temple is set up, the Temple of All Consumption is set up, is there's this sort of ring of dungeons and and temples around the outside in a big circle, and then there's a central island. And there's a, a a crater lake, you know, between the two. And so there's the four elemental temples, and then there's four elemental bridges that go to a door for each elemental temple. Hmm. Right? So there's the fire door and the fire bridge and the fire temple, except that the fire bridge and fire door are on the opposite side of the of the the, the structure. So in order for the fire temple to get to their bridge, they have to go through two other temples. Hmm. So there has, there, it's basically a forced sort of cooperation, even though these, these temples are at war with each other. Um, so they got to what, what is basically the equivalent of the water bridge, which is a bunch of um, Kotoa guarding uh, some boats. Because it's the water temple, so they don't need an actual bridge. We swim. We're Kotoa. <laughs> you know? True. Um, but they have boats there for... You know, if people want to come and and get to the water door, then oh sure, come along and you know leave me a bribe and I'll be happy to take you over and and you know they're basically just there to sort of guard the entrance, guard the the way on to the water door. And after slaughtering all of the guards except for the one sort of lead guy, um, the the party managed managed to convince him to take them to the water temple, basically skipping over two other temples to get there. So they fast forwarded straight to the water temple, basically by saying, look, we took out the air temple and we're claiming dominion over it. And we want to form an alliance with you against fire. Uh, and, and it was, it worked really well, except they got, they you know, got to skip straight to the water temple. 
Um, you know, and I tried to play it up as, you know, you really don't want to mess with them right now. Like they are at full defense and they're ready for anything um, and they're gearing up for war. So it's probably better to negotiate with them than it is to just start a fight, especially <laughs> when, when you're currently walking on water on a on a ritual that is going to end and, and leave you screwed in the middle of those fights, you know. Um, but yeah, so they've, they've sort of arranged this this alliance with the water temple and they've they've devise sort of a, a pincer attack plan you know give us a map of everything you know about the fire temple and you're you're going to attack from this direction on this time and we're going to attack from that direction on that time and we'll meet in the center uh, and together we will take out the fire temple hmm. and that's sort of uh, where we left it and now i need to draw a map of the fire temple for him and, and have to figure out how much detail to put in and how much not to yeah Ugh. so that's where i'm at and that's my time those maps are oh. killer in the in QEE. <laughs> I've got a copy. I've got a copy here that smells like stale cigarettes. I love it. It's uh it's it's the what the bit that the maps I'm getting together okay fine. Um and I've sort of got a sketched out version that I hand them that doesn't have, you know, it's not to scale and it doesn't have the the grid or anything on it. So that way they can keep track of where they've been and where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um the the part that gets confusing is is because up is not always north because it's mm-hmm. a circle. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so, right. So as you go around it, up north actually rotates completely around as you go through the maps. <laughs> so do you run when you when you play? Do you run it kind of square by square and have them explore hallways and stuff like that? Um, mostly ish. So then, I mean, a lot do of you draw what, it for them, or do you have like do you tell them it's ten feet and then they have to draw on their little map ten feet? Well, right. So no. So he, so the the trick is this. Um, we have done, I would say, 70% of the adventure theater of the mind. So okay. I'm giving them a map, and I'm drawing right. a map, but it's not to scale or any of that. And I'm just handing it, you know, it's, 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 I take a, a normal sheet of paper and I fold it in half, and that's, that's one map. And then when I'm ready for the next map, I just flip it over. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, I can theoretically get two to four maps on any given piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we, so we, we generally run it theater of the mind. And then every now and then when I'm like, okay, well, this area is going to have a more tactical combat to it. Um, and so, and and maybe it's they're not, they're leaving the wilds and they're going into a, a uh, more civilized area, so it makes sense for suddenly things to be very lined up by grids and and ninety degree angles and all that. Um, then I'll pull out the gaming paper mm-hmm. ahead of time and I'll just pre map the whole thing, mm. and just for that one section because you know I, I think I think there's going to be a lot of tactical combats in that area or whatever, and so they'll do, they'll do whole sections, you know, square by square. Mm-hmm. And then they'll do, we'll do other parts that are completely not. It's just theater of the mind of okay, you you got you can go left or right, and here's what you see, and and oh my gosh, there's an ogre down there, and, and let's just roll initiative and kill it because there's just one ogre and there's five of you, and it's just not worth mapping it out. And you know. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the the part that I have a trouble with is like I always try to skip to the 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 meat of any situation like this, and I, I look at like a dungeon level and I say like okay, what's the theme of that level, and what are the main kind of story bits that that they might trigger and then what are the interesting things that would happen and I kind of skip the rest. So every, you know, like when I when I ran the you know, village of Hamlet like you look at the map of the the ruins below the moat house and for me it was like one room. You know, like <laughs> I skipped everything else because I was like uh, the main yeah, thing is you go down there and you kill him. what's his name? No, no, I don't skip anything. And and, and these guys don't want to leave anything behind them. So they, they go room by room and explore yeah. every little every nook and cranny of the dungeon, but they're not doing it but they're not doing it square by square. Yeah. You know, okay. They're doing it room by room or hall by hall. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, every time there's a decision point, okay, you reach a point where you can go left, right, or, or straight, you know, every time there's something like that, then then I stop and, and I stop drawing the map and I show it to them and say, Okay, where do you want to go? And then they pick. And then, you know, so we do it that way. Right. 
Okay? Sounds good. Before we go on to Randall, hey, Mike. Mm. I heard you got a Kickstarter going on. I do. And this pod, this podcast may very well come out before it's over. So Do I, do I, do I have to pay for this advertisement? or? Um, no, we're going to call this yeah. uh, uh, ser- for payment for services rendered. Sweet. <laughs> so tell us about it. Uh, so I'm running, I've launched my first Kickstarter for a scenario. Oh my God, I could do, I could like rehearse it straight from the video because I did that video so many stupid times. <laughs> hey, there you go. Um, I wrote a, uh, fake core scenario based in a cyberpunk world and a cyberpunk theme called Anon Wave. And, uh, it's the first Kickstarter I've ever done. I'm looking to, uh, get funded for artwork and for design and for editing the art and editing both from former from people who have worked on fate products before and the design from someone who helped me with the lazy dungeon master uh the layout for the lazy dungeon master Mm -hmm. so um it's available now as of this uh pot as of this recording it's at 73 percent funded on day two of the kickstarter with 29 days to go awesome and i've got some good um Stretch goals lined up. I've got two that I've announced so far, and I'll have more to go. That'll all add more artwork and more, uh, you know, better better design for the pre-generated character sheets and things like that. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, Jeff, you actually played, so why don't you talk about I did. What you thought? You know what? I I really enjoyed the scenario, and what I what what my secret hope is that this is this takes off and is awesome, and you are inspired to do a whole campaign setting because I feel like the setting. Um, was really interesting and had a lot going on that I that I wanted to to play with some more, or, or at least I want more scenarios that help sort of flesh out the the campaign setting over time. So I think it's it's really intriguing and I want to see more of it. Great, yeah, I, that that's that that I, I have kicked that very idea around. In fact, my my radical idea was to actually set something ten thousand years after the events in the first one, mm-hmm. uh, but that's probably a bit of a leap for a campaign <laughs> a campaign setting. Although I had a pretty good reason why, but it would ruin the story of the mm. first one about why it would jump. Well, so- and, but I also feel like I mean the setting is is uh, such that it feels like there are a million life shattering stories going on in the world at any given mm-hmm. time. There's no mm-hmm. reason that you couldn't just keep doing scenarios in different different cities right. or different parts of the world, or you know, do an Indiana Jones one where you go from place to place. Or you know, you could do a, a bunch of different cool scenarios just right. in the in the setting that you've got uh, as it stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, 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 I'm definitely thinking about that. I'm right now. I'm focused on this one, and I'm going to see how this one goes. I, it's designed to be a single shot adventure that mm-hmm. uh, a GM and players can just pick up and run with no prep ahead of time. Uh, I do use like read aloud text, but only in case you have no opportunity to read it beforehand. Yeah, I really. Even- what, what was the most fun for me when we played it beyond the setting and 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 all that is that we sort of built this situation where. My player or my character was acting secretly against the 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 best um, intentions of the rest of the party. Right. You know, I was working against them. You were a spy. Um, I was kind of a spy, but mostly I was just covering my myself. I was just you know taking care of me, and and I had a pre- freelance spy. Right. As as a as a former as an assassin, you know, I had a former job that I didn't want to come to light, so uh, I was just trying to hide that the whole time. Um, but it meant that you and I had to continuously send messages. And so we sat there, 
you know, in the middle of the, of the, the lobby of the JW at Gen Con, uh, we sat there and texted back and forth to each other the whole time as if we I, were just sort of keeping yep. up with friends in the area. You know? I texted you in the bathroom, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, and I believe I did the same at one point. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we were, you know, you and I just looked like complete rude jerks in the middle of a game, pulling out our phones and texting people. And it was actually us texting each other the whole time with secret messages instead of passing notes. Yep. Uh, which I thought worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it's designed to be easy enough that you can pick it up and run it, but it's also a pretty open-ended scenario. So there's there's a it's it's small sandboxy. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a refined sandbox of how you you know you as a group get to decide how you're going to get in. And so far, I've run three runs, and all three have gone differently. I'm running another one uh, in a in a in a week. And uh, and if you can get to it by fast jumping Aeon Wave, it's the very first hit. Cool. All right. Well, people should go check it out. Thank you for the free advertisement. There you go. And hopefully I get this edited and put out. Although without an ad, um, it should be quick to put out. Yay. <laughs> Randall. Yes. 15 minutes, go. Uh, done. All right, cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't play this. I mean, we only recorded three weeks ago, guys. So I have not had, <laughs> since I only play once a month, I have not got a chance to play. Three weeks ago, I've played five games since then. I know. You guys I have. have I have far have, more. I was on no, vacation no, no. now. I played two. Mike has has a far more time. I have played once since then, and we weren't even sure that we would get to play in October. Um, yeah. We actually had, we're, we're moving our October just this one time in my life. We're moving our game to Sundays this month. Oh wow! Um, just so that because otherwise we would have to go the entire month and not play because we're low on players and one guy had something coming up every Saturday, <laughs> so so more players and yeah. then we don't have to play Sundays. So that was it. Forty five seconds. You're done. That's right. That's wow. it. it. I honestly don't have anything else. <laughs> you want to talk about what you're planning to do next or any of that? Um, still continuing with Village of Hamlet. So. So how is well, it? How is it that you've been running Village of Hamlet now for months, and Mike did it in one shot? <laughs> did one in, did it in an afternoon. <laughs> I'm, I've never. I'll tell you why. I've not I seen the original Village of Hamlet. Of <laughs> you just skipped yeah. in. Okay, well, you guys went into this dungeon and you killed some stuff, yeah, and eventually I mean, you find your way here. That's exactly I have what a, I did. They I have a group that were done in one 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 encounter. I have a group that's very tactically minded, and so they like they like their encounters. Um, and they like combats, so in they fairness, take a... Randall, I think I like your way more. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> either way, it's valid. It's just the way they play. So. I feel like Mike's cheating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's damn trying to, straight. He's trying to suck out the marrow of every adventure. That's exactly right. <laughs> with, yeah. Without without actually having to go through the work. No, I don't want to do yeah, that. That may actually be the case. Yeah. Lazy, lazy dungeon master. But um, but lazy, I make a lazy you know, dungeon master. You're just turning a, a, a ten ten session uh, game into a one session game. That's right. You know, we have to map as we go and things like that, and so it it takes a little longer. They usually get around, depending on what's going on. To, oh, did I mention the? Wait a minute. I don't know. Did you? I'm waiting. Did I I actually had a t. I actually had a. I killed a player off last time. Yeah. A player. Maybe I, or, I mean, a character. Yeah, I killed, killed an actual player. Yeah. Um, an actual character off. Oh, I think yeah, I, I can yeah. count on one hand the number of times I've actually done that. And um, the I assassin. Killed last night. I don't know what's wrong with you. Ghouls. Ghouls are bad. Yeah. Yeah. I like them. <laughs> yeah, ghouls are rough. And they don't, they don't, I think my players are slowly beginning to get that. D&D Next isn't like 4E. And it's not going to be Insta Res and 
all this other stuff and yeah, um, I've, and yet I haven't run into a, a challenging fight in, in next yet. No, they need to up their monster game. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, actually killed off the assassin. And the funny thing is, that wasn't really me. It was his roles and the roles of the healing player or the player trying to heal him that kept failing. <laughs> so he while I struck the first blow, he bled out. It wasn't me. I did not roll the dice that actually <laughs> killed the player, the character. Um, it was the player's dice that actually killed him. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they every time the ghoul would would strike one down, they would try to drag him off, yeah. and um, and that would do um, you know a little bit of extra damage. I'd like to roll a d4 because they were banging him around and dragging him all over the floor, and so. Um, but yeah, well, did it? I don't think I'd played, but maybe. <laughs> wow i tell you what this whole month has just been has just gone by like crazy so it's been a blur huh it's very yeah, it funny you mentioned ghouls twice i've killed i've killed pcs in two different systems both using ghouls yeah There's something ghouls about are, ghouls it's the paralyzation and the three attacks mm. yeah is, is what it is attacks and the, yeah, yeah i think you're right i got my uh, butt kicked by some bulls, ghouls in Baldur's gate on the ipad yeah it's they're brutal whenever i run into two or three of them it's fine but there was a pack of like seven of them and boom suddenly all my pcs are paralyzed and i'm dead yeah i think the only thing worse is probably um carrion crawlers Mm. because they have like eight attacks and while the attacks don't do as much damage um if any at all i mean it's like eight chances for paralyzation and then the thing can just gnaw on you if it wants to yeah and so yeah, paralyzation is pretty brutal. Um, but it, it, I like that, though. You know, in a way, there should be some monsters that players, they open up a room. OK, well, you see three, you know, you see a pile of garbage and there are three carrying crawlers walking around. They should shut the door. Their first step should be, oh, crap, shut the door. Then they can plan on how to take them out. But those monsters are great for... Um, for lack of a better word, cocky players that think they can't be killed. And um, and so I love those. And uh, yeah, fortunately, it's, it's the uh, And part of the trick is having a system that can support it well. Because like mm-hmm. one of the issues with that I always had with 4th edition, and, and I complained about this from the beginning, was it's really hard in 4E to kill a character without killing all of them. Yeah. You know, either you've thrown the challenge up so hard that all of them are going to die, or they're all going to live and win, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that we get to a point with next where, where you can do that, right? You can challenge them and kill off a, a character or two, still have the party win. Mm-hmm. But clearly this was a challenge and maybe you should think twice about, about doing this again, you know. But you never really want to pump up the threat in, in, in 4E because you're re- if you really pump up the threat and try to, you know, make the point that some things it's best to run away from, it's too late because you already killed them all. Mm-hmm. Well, and quite frankly, players aren't really fast if there's a presumption in 4E that the encounter is balanced. Yeah, right. Yep. It, you know, if we can't win, why did it happen? And you can try to RP around it. You can try to role play around that, but there's still that presumption. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, all the encounters are balanced. And so, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. But, and that's either, you know, there's a, a school of thought that if you're playing a tactical game, that works because that's what you're supposed to. It's like chess. You know, you've the idea is to outwit the opponent and, you know, get a better move on him. And maybe with a little luck, you win the encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you always figure you have a cha- a good chance. But I like an older school version. I'm not ashamed to admit that, that I like, you know, there should be some places where 
And I don't mind the players knowing about monsters. They want to get into a monster manual and start reading about monsters. Great. Because when they see a monster's like a certain thing and they shut the door, it means they've got some sense. <laughs> it means they're thinking about stuff. Yep. Um, you know, so now that's not necessarily a bad thing. So what I allowed this player, since they're still only first level, um, and we're going to have to go next month and uh, see here. I wasn't going to talk about anything. And now you got me talking about stuff. That's that but, was the goal. Uh, um, and um, we are actually going to convert up to the most recent um, uh, rule set to the last uh, play set. And um, I'm going to actually probably have a session where it will be nothing but retooling for the most part. Um, their players. And um, I had a I had a, on the fly. The assassin that got killed off. I let him re-roll up a, a barbarian, and that actually only took thirty minutes out of the game time, which was not too bad, actually, considering what happened. And I actually, and that means actually going into my computer and plugging in my um, printer and and you know printing out the info for him. So um, it didn't take that long, and that's a good thing as far as the rules are concerned, mm-hmm. um, at least at first level. Uh, you know, I don't think it would be like that if you're <laughs> re-rolling up a 10th or 11th char- level character but uh, at least at a low level it, w- it went pretty well so um, he's starting off next session with a barbarian instead of an assassin and we'll s- see what happened i had the barbarian you know i don't know if, well we all know about the village of hamlet but that that one encounter room has a bunch of ghoul warrens in the back of the the actual room where the encounter takes place in and um after the assassin died and they'd killed off the ghouls um, the barbarian, the barbarian comes stumbling out of the Warrens <laughs> and he'd been lost in there for a little while. And so that's how I, I instantly worked the new player or the new character into the, uh, um, into the adventure. It's like, Oh, I'm kind of just wandering around what you guys doing, <laughs> you know? And they're going, well, we're exploring this dungeon. Well, can we, jo- can I join you? My party's dead. And I had some ah. body. Yeah. Um, and it's like, OK, that stuff is so hard to do sometimes. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, only if you make it that way. I guess and you don't have to. Just, right. I mean, you know, hand you don't wave have it. to mm-hmm. you hand wave it and say, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, this was a you know, since this is kind of a play test group, I'm not doing a lot of serious background stuff anyway, because it's not taking place in my campaign. I mean, in my um, uh, campaign setting or anything like that. So it's just. You know, just as is or, or, or it, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it'll be interesting to see going forward. So the next few encounters will be difficult because there's a lot of uh, foes. So so maybe you guys have thought about this before. There's a there's a there's a thing in 13th age. Uh, it's not even an optional rule. It's kind of a little breakout box about the way Jonathan Tweet runs his game. They have a lot of them throughout the book. And um, he says that, like, characters only die in his campaign when it when it is done by a major villain and and I might even change that to you know slightly to say when it fits the story like when it sure. when it works well for the the story and every other time they're just knocked you know permanently unconscious for that battle hmm. you know the final fantasy you swoon you know like right. you faint and and you're you're unconscious and you're not able to be recovered until the battle is over but then you don't have this kind of awkward like well what do we do with the corpse of our friend here oh, i guess we got to go to town anybody paying a res i'm not paying 500 gold for that you know i guess i'll roll a new guy and then they're mad 
So like I, you know, two characters died in my my game yesterday, and one of them, my wife's character, she's like, oh, I'll just roll a different one. I want to try something new anyway. And the other guy's like, I like my guy, and I'm like, okay, your guy survived. <laughs> like, which is a little bit too much, but yeah, it's 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 tricky because um, on one hand, like I'm I'm thinking like you could do something like that, and then like you know give him some sort of permanent injury, but then it's like then you're, it's something that's you're living with forever and that should also be something important, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to do that unless it was a major event or, or uh, a villain or whatever. Um, I see, know, I, toying with. I think I'm, I'm going to think about giving my players an op, um, a two or three options. And option one would be um, you can roll up a new character, but it will be two levels lower than the current party. Or because the D&D next the party level is not everyone doesn't have to be the exact same level. Extreme, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not as important. Um, the other thing would be uh, I can res your character as is, but you are going to suffer some kind of debilitating effect, something that would be related to the way they died. An example would be that if um, I had allowed the assassin to do this with the ghouls, um, there might be a chance every round or every combat that he locks up at some point from some kind of reoccurring paralysis. Or he's infected with sort of like a, a weird ghoulish disease, and every now and then he has a craving to eat people or something? Yeah, see, the thing, the problem, those things are kind of problematic because you, unless they're all role-played outright, it's hard to work it in without it seeming contrived. Sure. And so, um, and for me, it's it's difficult. It doesn't roll well with my own style, the way I, the the game flows for me. So it would probably be something that I can randomize, sure, or something, or something that happen that is in effect all the time. Um, you know, if it, it was something that mangled his leg or like a beam fell on him or something, that I might reduce his movement rate by um, five foot square. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to limp from now on. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, and then the final option would be to, well, you can re-roll your character. Well, see, that was the option with the two levels lower. Um, the third one would be to... Um, uh, Make a new character? Yeah, I guess. Or something. <laughs> I'm, I'd have to think. I, I'd like to give three different options, but uh-huh. um, maybe I'll come up with an option that w- is ghost-related or something like that. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But I have to say, Mike, I, I'm not... I'm not immediately against the idea of having them always survive unless it, it plays into the story well or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, I had a couple of thoughts on, on the issue. The one exception I would probably make is if you die based on your own bad decision making. Mm-hmm. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if you do something if – if, right. if I lay out all the warnings that this is stupid or dangerous yeah. and, and you, you still do it, do it yeah. fine. You right. chose to suicide. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that made me think of – and I don't remember where I heard this mechanic from. But it was some game that I, that I was hearing about. Um, and for what, for some reason, it makes me think of um, Keith. What's his name that did Eberron? Hmm. What's his last name? Uh, uh, Keith Miller. No. no. Keith uh, Baker. Baker. Yeah. Keith Baker. Uh, yeah. So it makes me think. Uh, for some reason, I want to say something that, that I heard from him from, but it may, I could be making that up in my head. And it's been a year or two since I thought of this. But it's this concept of adding like um, a doom mechanic. Mm-hmm. Where but you know you give everybody three chits or cards or whatever, right? Um, and at some point in your character's life, you can spend those cards to do something miraculous, to do something amazing, to save somebody else, to save yourself. You know, to it, it's basically like the ultra action point sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is your caveat get out of get out of jail free card. You know, you can do something that completely breaks the rules, right? 
Um, but when you give up the last one, you're, you're, you die. You sacrifice you're disintegrated. yourself. Disintegrated. Right. Well, or you know, the the DM and you will will collaborate together to find some way to make it a meaningful death or whatever. But but that last card, you save the day, but you've ended your own life to do it. You mm-hmm. know, and so you have complete control. Well, no, I did not die here. Or I, or the, I'm going to save save my friend or whatever. That's fine, and it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but sooner or later, you have that that mechanic then of this is the moment. I am going to throw it down, and I am going to sacrifice myself to save the day, or save the world, or save my friends, or whatever. You know, right? Right. And I think that that that's a fun sort of death mechanic in there as well. Yeah, I'm 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 a fan. One of the things they that they have a lot in Thirteenth Age is a lot of like. If you're down and you're you're rolling, you roll a 16 plus on your death save, then you get to use a surge, but you have to describe how you recover from the blow. And I'm tempted to kind of say, like, <laughs> on on death, you, it's the same thing. Like, instead of, you know, and maybe this is just passing the buck, but you could kind of say, like, okay, you've reached negative half your hit points. You are you're out. Describe what happens to you, and they might say like, "Well, I'm thrown against a wall and completely knocked out," or "I'm, you know, I'm I scream as I fall down the pit," or "My head is bitten off," or you know, "I'm badly wounded, but I'm a, I'm I'll make it," and kind of give it to them. Is do they think it would be interesting to die, or do they think it would be interesting sure. to just be knocked out? Although, and again, this is kind of the idea of, of pushing the story to the other players as well as the DM, so that it's not just the DM's responsibility the whole time to tell the story. Did either one of you ever watch professional wrestling? I've seen it from time to time. I saw Hulk Hogan live once. Right. So your description of you have to describe what it's like when you spin that healing surge on a death save. Yeah. Immediately takes me to Hulkamania. Right? <laughs> he just starts shaking his arms up and down. and <laughs> Nothing can hurt him for a second. And suddenly he's completely invulnerable. Right. Hey, arms spinning. Up and up yeah. And yeah. Right, right. <laughs> he starts waving his arm around. Yeah. Let's go into his ear here in the crowd. Right, right, right. That's totally what I would do every single time. Every time. <laughs> Describe the same thing. Hang on. I have a video yeah. that I will show of me recovering from my surge. Anyway, we ran out of time. See, look at that, Randall. You managed to use up all 15 minutes. Sort yeah, of. what can I do? <laughs> I think we used up at least half of your 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's not unusual, actually. So. <laughs> hey, what do you say? <laughs> you know exactly what I'm saying. All right. Well, I think we're at the end of the episode. <laughs> Somehow, with 15 minutes each and three of us, we managed to put together an hour-long episode. Yay. That's right. Yay. So people should go check out uh, Mike's Kickstarter for Aeon Wave. thank you. And people should go check out how awesome Randall is in his awesomeness. I don't know. <laughs> he is awesome. Oh, uh, thanks, guys. And I'm around as well. So that's us. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.